Welcome to the Be Your Own Loud podcast. Kirk and I started this podcast to inspire experts around the world, experts who want to free themselves from the torment of sales. In every interview on this show, we're going to reverse engineer how our guests came into success. Today, we're going to talk to Rob Howard. Rob Howard is a brand rehab therapist. So this is what I want you to do. Lay back and let this guy teach you how to turn your business or your brand into a cult brand. He helped us. He's amazing. You're going to love it. I hope you enjoy it. Let's go. Be your own loud. Welcome to another podcast. Kirk and I are going to be diving in with somebody who we've actually become fast friends with. His name's Rob Howard. He is a brand rehab specialist, which we're going to dive into and find out a little bit more about what that means. But we hired him, full disclosure, we hired him and his team to rebrand us to this new brand that we just launched and rolled out. And it was a magnificent experience. And the super cool thing about it was Kirk, as all of you know, he's been branding people forever. And having him go through this experience too is something that Kirk and I are going to dive into. So Kirk, I'm just going to turn this over to you uh, to ask uh, some of the opening questions here. And, and let's just have some fun with Rob here. Yeah, it really wasn't like work coming to meet with Rob over several months to create you know, what we've created here. Really, I, I'll be honest what he created. I'm going to yeah. try not to take much of any credit because I was just uh, laying on the couch, if you will. <laughs> Good. It's supposed to feel more like therapy, just so so you know, not like not like work. So. Well, it did. success there, brother. Uh, we both went through therapy with you and it's freaking awesome. <laughs> well, your, your LinkedIn profile reads, accepting new patients by referral only. That's not tongue in cheek, <laughs> is it? No, it's actually a positioning trick, but that's, we, we can talk more on that later. <laughs> well, we were definitely yeah. both on the couch, brother. As an ex-therapist, it was a magnificent experience. I, I don't think I've ever felt more attached to a brand, a logo, brand messaging, a website, or anything since you took us through this stuff. So, Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Can you give us a little bit of a background on what what brand rehab specialist means and kind of how you got there because the how you got there i think is probably the most interesting part even though you might not think so oh geez yeah i've got i've got a long story to to tell for sure about how i got to where i am now, i've been on the inside of, of many brands and organizations over the years and and i've seen a lot of unhealthy cultures and and unsustainable marketing practices and and these these things can can absolutely destroy a brand over time, even great ones. So these days I, I refer to myself or consider myself a brand rehab therapist. And I'm glad that you guys, uh, it was a positive experiment or experience for you as a brand therapist or brand rehab therapist. I work with brand leadership on, I like to say the prevention treatment and recovery from the brand eroding type of addictions that they may have formed. And it's a lot more like, I would say, being a physiotherapist where the patient has to do the hard work to get better. But I've come to realize that I think what I really offer my patients, and again, I refer to my clients as patients because that's the mindset I want to have. I want to be very empathetic and, and sincere towards, towards my clients. And I want them to also feel like and know that, I, that I'm the expert. 
right? So I'm, I'm the practitioner. And so by referring to them as a patient, it's a bit of a positioning trick, as I mentioned, to, to make them feel like, um, okay, he has expertise that, that he possesses that we need in order to get better. But I, I found that over time, I, I think what I've really recognized that I offer my patients is just, you know, the guidance along a path towards a destination they couldn't reach on their own. And that destination is usually but not always, usually one of, of greater brand resilience. And, and uh, I'd like to think that the greatest gift that I can hope to give to my clients is, you know, not a shiny new logo or, or a slogan or, or a brand framework for that matter. I'd like to think that it's the gift of courage and, you know, the courage to make bold decisions and the confidence to act on them. And you guys have made some very bold decisions with your brand and your positioning recently, but I think you had that the courage and the confidence to do that. And it's not something I gave you, you found it within yourselves, but we went on a journey together. And so, you know, and it's hard because change requires doing uncomfortable things. And, and that can be a scary thing to many brand leaders, you know, who are the only ones often in the position to affect change. So one of the things that you hear that, that we hear a lot and you read a lot about everybody hears about it when you're talking about branding is, is niche marketing. And I find that one of the, one of the great things about having a, a clear brand is it often speaks to the people who feel like they're the best client for you and brand rehab specialist. While you don't come out and, and say, I work with this, this, and this, it, it kind of says that it says you, you probably already have to have a brand. So you're probably not a new brand new company or a startup, right? You've been around, you understand how brand is, how brand, how important a brand is to your company and, and your growth and, and the culture within your company, which is really uh, key. Can you take us a little further on that? Yeah, I, I think I've used that. I've used the label. I've, I've simply, created the term brand rehabilitation therapy. I'm a strategist, but brand rehabilitation therapist does a few things for me uh, in terms of my positioning. Namely, it attaches some new language in terms of brand to a concept that people, most people would be familiar with, you know, uh, uh, rehabilitation and, and therapy, right? When you put those concepts together, it's very interesting. Positioning when done well will place a brand, an independent expert in, in a category of one, I'm the only brand rehab therapist that I know on the planet. <laughs> if there's more out there, please get in touch with me. I'd love to know who you are. You know, so I like to think that positioning myself as a brand rehab therapist does that. It puts me in a category of one, but it also introduces concepts to my audience that are familiar. I think what it implies is that if we are conscious about managing our brand. And if we think we may have some problems with the brand's health, then perhaps we need some expertise in the form of a brand therapist to come in and help guide us to, uh, in the direction that we need to go. So. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You, one of the ways that I find you really walk the walk is you, you don't go outside of your comfort zone. I don't know if that's the right way, but you don't go outside of what you say, who you say you are and what you do for people. And you've been a hundred percent on, on with that. And you've brought, you know, when Matt mentioned earlier, your team, the team is right. all the gaps that you have to get your client's brand better to rehab their brand. You bring in all the other people who are experts and you collaborate. This isn't about selling you. This is the, you know, what we're talking about in this podcast, everybody is 
trying to help you understand how somebody runs their business, the impact that has on their success, the impact it has on, on the, on the outcomes that they have with their clients, the impact it has on finding and working with the best people and not just, you know, sifting through leads. And what we're trying to showcase here, just to be really clear is that the way Rob positioned his brand and the way we're going to talk about how he helped us position us has a huge impact on how you move forward in your organization, the culture, the types of clients that you attract, the power, the excitement that you have, the clarity that you have. I mean, these things are really business changing events and it blows my mind how many people think that branding is something less or different than that. Well, it's exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's an interesting point that you make because in my line of life, how many people want to hire a generalist? I don't think many people do in, in my line of work anyways. I think people go looking for specialists and use the word niche before. And that, and that I think is the, is what good positioning is really all about is being very clear about what you do and also very clear on what you won't do. Right. Yeah. And so I do try to stay in my lane in, in that um, respect. A, a mentor of mine, Blair ends has a mantra, which goes something like, if you never say no, then your yes becomes meaningless. Oh, poetry, right? Wow, it's, yeah. Wow. I know. I want to get that tattooed on, on my skin. When it, in my younger days in my career, I would do anything. It's like, uh, you know, I would, Absolutely. You know, graphic design, you need it. That's great. Fantastic. You need copywriting. Fantastic. I can do that too. I'm not an expert at those things. I simply refuse to do those things these days because I'm not an expert in that. And I, I think you and you, Kirk, and you, Matt, would probably be very concerned if you went to visit your family doctor and upon a quick examination, decided that you needed some form of surgery and asked you to lay back while they put, <laughs> well, they went and got the scalpel, right? It's just, you know, you would probably run screaming from there. And unfortunately that's the way a lot of professionals operate. You know, they, they operate as, as a family doctor, pretend to be the brain surgeon too. And you don't have to be that. Um, certainly not in today's world with the tools and platforms that we and the you know, Rob, have access. To. The uh, the competence, and and I think this is something Kirk and I have talked about about the power of outsourcing on some of our previous podcasts. But the confidence that that we had when you did bring in those specialists, like like the the graphic designer that we worked with, uh, I mean, he was like. Everything I always thought a graphic designer would be when when you brought in, you know, the more of the the writer, right? It, it was just it, it, they they because you brought them in, I had even more confidence, and I think that's the antithesis of how people think when they bring in outside help. Because one of the things in sales that I learned many many years ago in financial services was one don't ever ask a question that you don't know the answer to basically you need to be the resource for absolutely everything and you really turned that on its head and I love that that's more of just an, an overall kind of blanket statement because I don't think people hear that enough that the power of outsourcing actually I believe in it through our experience makes you one really position yourself within that specific line that you're really good at and then number two it, it just increases the confidence because you can say hey this is my guy and we're like oh holy crap <laughs> that's rob's guy now let's listen to him yeah I, I think it's curious for for people to think about how that how they're doing in that regard right D, is that part of your process to has that ever been part of your process rob 
I've borrowed a concept from the medical community called the circle of care, where I may operate independently, but I certainly don't operate alone, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I call on other specialized experts to provide care for my clients. So it becomes a very patient-centric type of approach, right? That's that network of care that you that a, a family physician will help build around a patient who has a specific set of health problems, right? You know, I'm usually the one who's playing the general physician, although I don't refer to myself as a generalist, where I'm overseeing my client's care, but bringing other experts or even other agencies sometimes into the circle, depending on what the need is, right? Um, I absolutely think about those things and, and it's very important, but it also puts me in a position where I don't have to pretend to be good at everything, right? I just need to be good enough to know that if you need an x-ray, then I'm going to send you to the radiologist, right? If you need a surgery, you're going to go see the surgeon, right? I'm not going to be doing all of those things, but I will certainly work on diagnosing the problem and working with those other specialists to prescribe the course of action. Without throwing anybody under the bus, unless you, unless you want to, some of the companies that you've worked with either worked in or worked on, can you share some of those names with people with us? Oh, jeez. I somewhere have a list of, of clients that is very long. I've tried to catalog them over the years, but you know, I've worked with brands all over North America, primarily from Harley Davidson and the Home Depot to Keurig and, and Zappos. So I wanted people to understand when, when you say brand rehab, it's not for the quick mart at the corner. No, I think that I think the world's most, you know, most revered and coveted and cult like brands work on becoming better brands daily right mm -hmm. and that's why they command that that status with uh their consumer audience with their their audience of employees and shareholders and and things like that right it's yeah. they, they work on it right it's not a it's not necessarily a destination but it's something that they're constantly working towards yeah when you when you when i said the word quick mart how do you spell that in your head how do you see how do you visualize that i'm just curious Probably with a K. <laughs> so K K what? K W I K. I don't know why, but it sounds a lot like Quickie Mart. Like that's uh, where I just I was totally going to go with that. I, I think about Pooh. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking Q W I K M A R T Quick Mart, and I was thinking to myself right after I said I was thinking that sounds like something that you would have come up with with <laughs> one of your clients. <laughs> And you, you and Charles, just so you know, when when Rob showed up to start the process working with us, and our former company name was Top Advisor Marketing, worked exclusively with financial service industry uh, and people who serve the financial service industry, which is you know a, a good part of our market too. Charles showed up, and I thought, okay, there's you know they're tag team in this. Charles' specific role was wordsmithing. And it didn't take very long for you guys to start sending some feedback. And I was like, oh my God, this is glorious. This guy can write. As it turns out, you were the person who came up with, and I'm not trying to slam Charles because he was brilliant. He added some wonderful language that we use all over our stuff. But it was you that end up coming up with the words. But I could see you guys coming up with something like that. Anyway, that was long-winded. My apologies. <laughs> No, that's that's it exactly. Uh, Charles Blackwell, who you're talking about, is yeah. an amazing translator of strategy into communication and language, and and that's really what he does. You know, he will call himself a copywriter, but I think he's much more than that. Uh, and when there's a good synergy between 
the members of that circle of care that I was talking about, amazing things can happen. I think great work, truly great work is the result of truly great relationships. And, you know, over the past few years, I've been seeing ad agencies crumbling and being replaced by creative communities and professional ecosystems and networks and stuff like that, that allow for connection to happen and synergies to develop and partnerships to flourish that is, is producing amazing work. Yeah. You're, you're welcome to, to, to drop some promo there if you want for your, for your friends and the community you're involved in. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Because I think a lot of the listeners need to know what we're talking about, what you're talking about here, like specifically. Yes, specifically, I I belong to a a community called Communo, actually, is is its name. And uh, it was actually started in Canada, in Calgary, just a few years back. It's, there's a funny story behind that, because it's actually the spinoff from my former agency called Collective in in Calgary. We operated um, a very lean agency using a virtual bench model of preferred specialists that we called on from time to time to perform specialized tactical or, or crafts type of work. And that model worked tremendously well. And in fact, it worked so well that many of those specialists had great lifestyles and were making great money and synergies formed between them and they started working together. And we thought, well, maybe there's something to this, you know, do you need to operate as a traditional agency in order to deliver the kind of work that an agency would uh, typically be respected for producing. And we realized that the answer was no. And so we started to focus our efforts on developing that network bigger and bigger to the point where it kind of took on a life of its own. And it was not called collective. And it wasn't anything else. It just was. And I think over the past few years, we've we've managed to sort of put a tent around that circus. And that circus is is called Communo. And it's far from a circus today. It's a very sophisticated community with um, some fantastic technology driving the back end. And there is thousands of professional independent specialists using the platform. And there are hundreds of agencies using it for contingent and on-demand talent solutions as well. And so it has become almost a new operating model for people like me who are solopreneurs or freelancers to uh, in-house marketing departments and brands uh, who require specialized expertise that they don't want to staff, to agencies who need to deal with the ups and downs of work volumes. So when they need to swallow a big project, they need to staff up, or if they're looking for specialized expertise, they can access it. I'm on the page here real quick. And just, I I think, again, context is important here. There's 60,000 people who are in the Communo community and open opportunities, the total value of the different sorts of work that are on here and opportunities for people like us and people like you and for people like organizations that do want to truly have this amazing foundation that they can pick and choose from of really incredibly talented people. It's $174 million in total value of work. When when Kirk wanted you to highlight some of the brands that you've worked with, I, I kind of wanted to do the same thing here with Communo because this isn't some website thing that's you know just kind of this is a humongous community and in fact rob i'm i'm on my communal app every day just looking at things and because i'm i'm trying to build my own uh self into the culture and truly understand how everything works 
And it, it, it really is something fundamentally unique and different that Kirk and I are both very, very proud to, to be involved with. But, but I want to redirect something very quickly because you brought up a word that is part of the book that you wrote, that you co-authored, but it's something that we talked a lot about when you were taking us through the brand process, which is a cult-like brand. Can you please explain what you mean when you say cult-like brand? Because I think that's what most people really want, Rob, but they might not have the framework to wrap their brain around it. And I think you did a good job of helping Kirk and I figure that out. Yeah, there's. I've spent a long time studying cult brands. In fact, we named our agency Cult, Cult Collective, because we realized that there are many brands that spend millions of dollars every single year and you could consider them successful and you can see the obvious results of those investments play out in forms of advertising and broadcast media and things like that. But there's a handful of really special brands that consumers don't just shop. They tattoo them on their bodies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't know if you guys have any brand tattoos, you know what those brands are. We found it fascinating that those brands seem to not follow the same rule book. And we spent a time uh, studying them and trying to unlock the genetic code of the cult brand genome, so to speak. And so cult brands are those that command a level of, of engagement and devotion or affinity and loyalty uh, amongst their consumer audience, but also their internal audience of of employees and and stakeholders and things like that and there's in doing our study we we worked with some other firms on it and um, one of them in particular brand keys out of new york we we were able to come up with the rule of six so these are six attributes that cult that really define cult brands specifically cult brands are are six times more likely to have uh, you know consumers that pay attention to and participate in their marketing campaigns, an audience that thinks highly of the brand, six times more likely to buy the brand's product again and again, customers who are six times more likely to resist competitive appeals and price offers. They have customers who are six times more likely to advocate for the brand and recommend their product or service to someone else and six times more likely to give the brand the benefit of the doubt and forgive them when they make mistakes and what brand wouldn't want those benefits. Yeah. And so we spent a long time trying to figure out what those secrets are. And we boiled them down to about eight principles that you can read about in the book that you're talking about called fix a new prescription to cure disengaged customers, prospects or staff. And we're going to make sure we have a link to that, by the way, that's going to be in, in the show notes. Did you hear that? I'm, I'm number one in sales for your book now. <laughs> I got sold, on the more. affiliate program. I sold well, two. I, I sold two yesterday. I think. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you another box. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just make them go to your website and order them. I don't. Oh, good. Okay. I don't want. I don't want to spend. I don't want to ship them. But uh, it's just funny. I. That's the whole thing about what we're doing. It's part of the thing about the brands. When you, when you work with somebody and you kick and you kick butt and you create highly valuable content people want to share it. I've, I've probably given out at least 25 of your books 
Oh, that's awesome. Told people to buy or uh, we bought them in bulk and, and gave them to a bunch of people on our team. <laughs> of course, I can't find mine today, so I'm going to have to get it. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know where I lost it, but I carried it with me reading. Yeah, I um, just I gave mine away. Uh, that's my biggest problem is I have a book that I absolutely love. And, and, I, and then I'm like, damn, who did I give that to? Dang it. <laughs> I also have this problem when I read really good books. Uh, sometimes a book is really only good in the first couple of chapters and they just repeat themselves the rest of the way. I get bored pretty quick with those, but your book was, I got so caught up in every principle. I would leave the book for hours and sometimes days, weeks to figure out, okay, how am I going to implement that? Because that is what I want. And if I, I think it'd be hard pressed to ask any business owner that what they, what they, you know, what they want it, that wouldn't be a cult brand. I think it's, I think it's probably the outcome of everybody. I'm just not sure everybody knows it. Is that make any sense? Yeah. It's, it seems to be what everyone wants. Like who wouldn't want those benefits, right? And what brand, yeah. that's what brands all, all want, you know, to be, you know, slavishly adored by their customers. And it's what it's, that's, it's the secret sauce that gives brands like Apple, for example, the competitive advantage of being able to charge what they charge for a set of AirPods, right? right? And, uh, and to keep customers within their ecosystem, right? It's the kind of things that give Nike the privilege of being able to side with Colin Kaepernick, the NFL star. You know, do you remember that? I mean, taking a stand like that, I mean, an ordinary brand couldn't do that and not, and not be attacked. But the, that, that is the power that, that cult brands uh, wield over us. And, and if, uh, for those listeners that are interested in learning a little bit about those principles, I do have a, a Ted talk that you can find on YouTube called how I discovered the black art of cult branding. So I looked that up. It's a, it's a short watch, but, um, yeah, it may be intriguing. So. so here I got a question. I think there's probably a lot of listeners that aren't Nike or don't aspire to be Nike maybe mm -hmm. that are listening can you give us some examples of smaller cult brands? Is there such a thing? Does cult brand mean you have to be big? Yeah, that's a great question. No, I don't think so. I I think a cult you do not have to be to be big. I think absolutely not. I think if you've achieved a, le a level of of affinity and allegiance with those whom you desire that kind of relationship with, then then, then that's, that's good. It doesn't matter how big you are. I think there's lots of cult brands these days that are emerging. And in fact, if you, the best place to, to see or to witness emerging cult brands is at the annual summit of cult brands, which takes place every year in Banff, Canada. It's called The Gathering. And at that annual summit, not only will you find the, the big uh, and obvious cult brands, uh, the leaders from their from those brands and organizations gather there to share secrets about how they build cult brands and and how they maintain cult status among uh, their audiences. But there, it also um, the gathering also tips its hat to many emerging cult brands. And so I'm, I've been really intrigued with brands like some brands that have been around for many, many years that you may not consider uh, having cult status, but brands like Carhartt, for, for example, oh, yeah. you know, and like you may not consider them 
I had a chance to to visit their headquarters uh, in Michigan, and and um, it's fascinating the things that they do. They have a, a museum of Carhartt items that people have sent in to them over the years, many many years that they've curated into a bit of a collection in their lobby. These customers sent them in after years of use, um, but they were too attached to them to throw them out. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty amazing, and you wouldn't think of of cars being a car, but they, they have that power over their, over their following. I think cult brand has a lot, being a cult brand has a lot more to do or tapping into a brand's cult potential has a lot more to do with the courage of their leadership than anything else to make really bold decisions. And so I'll give you an example, Kirk, cause you asked for one. I'm, I'm quite enamored with a brand called Manscaped. And I, I would probably consider them a small brand. And I don't know, because I haven't studied mm-hmm. them, if they truly are a cult brand or not. You know, And I'm not sure if you're familiar with them or your, your listeners are. But if you think about men's listeners, I mean, but if you think about men's, men's grooming category, like do any, do any brands stand out? Yeah, maybe the usual suspects might, right? But how would you even feel about them? You know, do you have any allegiances to... Gillette, for example, I would probably guess that, that most, most men would. And Manscaped comes along and they've drawn a clear line in the sand. They're, you know, they're boldly saying we are for men. It's in our name. Men have hair in places that most men won't talk about. And we're not afraid to say the word balls because balls are funny and hairy balls are even funnier. So let's embrace that. And I think it's, it's a bold thing to do because they're doing this at a time when I think men are reckoning with a lot of things tied to our gender and some shameful things. Right. And here's manscaped going balls out, so to speak about taking care of men's private parts. And so I see them as being on a path to becoming a cult brand. They're certainly exhibiting cult brand behavior. They're a brand I'd watch out for. I love Manscaped because they've given us permission to laugh at those kind of things, right? Yes. And, you know, they're they're following a few few of the, the cult brand principles. And the, the first one, I think, is, is the principle of, of being remarkable. That not just doing something to garner attention, but yes. to be able to elicit vocal remarks from people and, and word of mouth advocacy. And the other thing is, is I think they've adopted a very human and relatable persona. Mm-hmm. It's goofy. It's irreverent. And it's yes. funny for yeah. you know, considering their subject. It's, it's very refreshing. I don't know if Manscaped pays attention to metrics like brand attachment, but I know that many cult brands do look at different KPI. And I think that's a defining uh, feature yeah. of many cult brands. They just don't look at the same set of metrics that that, that uh, ordinary brands do. Yeah. And they have one of their products, I think is called Ball Toner. And, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that they're not referring to pool. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and this may be just too much for some people, but I mean, they change, they're changing like, culture that's that's incredible right how many how many companies have a historic moment like that there's no doubt they're they're if they're 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 a cult brand with the people that they work with well i want to i want to pause on something there kirk because i think you said something super important which is 
some people might not like this conversation. Well, that's fine. That's not who they're marketing to, right? I mean, it's it's that yeah. embracing that message that that when we went through our exploration with you, that that there were certain things that we ended up saying, and we challenged and you challenged us about, hey, that might not resonate with everybody. And we're like, okay, yeah, well, that's okay. We're totally fine with pissing off people who are hardcore salespeople and they've taken pride in being hardcore salesperson and can close absolutely anybody. And that's the antithesis of what we want to change in our world with the cult brand that we're trying to build here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, I think that's, that's what good positioning does, right? It, it's, uh, it's, it's very clear. It sends very clear messages, you know, who, you, what you stand for, who you're for, who you're not for. I wish we saw more, more uh, brands taking those, those type of risks. Right. Yeah. So locally there's this retail store. It's a uh, rest. It's not a restaurant. It's a takeout mostly, but they're called Pita Deli and it's run by a family. So there's two sons and my guess is they're, you know, 30 ish. Oh, there might be three, uh, two or three sons and the mother and father, and they all work in the store. And it used to be in this really bad mall near where I live. Like the mall was like dead, needed a reno, just stores were leaving. It was bad. Target actually came in to revive it. And then Target Canada closed really quick. Ooh, they, uh, a huge fail in Canada. Anyway, so that killed this mall even more. They've since moved to a strip mall, but uh, to a, a strip. Yeah. And. But this, this deli, there was not a time I went there where there wasn't three to, three to 10 people in line inside of the deadest mall I've ever seen. And most of the people in the mall were at this place. And it was because they knew, they knew people's names. They always said hi. They had their process. You went through four people to get your food. Mm. And every single one of them, the handoff was absolutely and utterly seamless. They had stuff, they had people take your, so if you were fifth in the line, they would have somebody come and say, what are you going to be getting? And Ooh. you're thinking, well, you're not even ready for me. And they say, oh, I'm going to have, you know, a chicken, blah, 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 or I'm going to have falafel. And they go and they prep the chicken so that when you get to the line, the chicken's ready and you don't slow the line down or they, or they get the falafel ready. So it was, but this place did not ever have to, they never had to advertise and the store was all a lot. And they moved to a new store, nicer, and the place is packed all the time. And they're always happy. People talk to them. They know them. What, you having the regular today? Like, it's just like you would think they don't have to do anything. It's incredible. And that's a small company who's absolutely killing it. And they're always happy. And they always, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. And we all know those places, right? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I've, I, I, one of my clients over the years has been Pita Pit and they're an international success story in terms of fast casual restaurants and stuff like that. And, and it's really interesting because it started by a guy's name is Nelson and yeah, here in Canada, actually, he saw the oppor the same opportunity as the Pita Deli <laughs> that you're talking about does Kirk is that it's a very, you know, stale when it comes to lunch, you have many options and most of them are different flavors of vanilla <laughs> the opportunity to provide a refreshing and memorable customer experience gives you a competitive advantage. You know, it's, we've all been to uh, chain restaurants where they, 
they ask you what kind of bread you want before you know it, their fingers are in the lettuce, you know, and if you don't, if you don't want lettuce on it, you know, what's your, it's, they don't really care, right? It's, they're trying to get you in and out as fast as possible. And so, yeah, customer experience is absolutely critical to brands to stand out today. And I think that um, they've also, it sounds like they've also um, applied one of the other cult brand principles, which is creating a culture um, around what their values and beliefs and you can, for brands that don't see the value in doing that, Kirk, your story just shed light on the power of that. They might be a small one-off mom and pop sandwich counter. That that just applying, just creating a culture where customer service is front and center, and that customer's experience is, is center of everything, is setting them apart, and that's why they have a lineup. Mm-hmm. I was kind of hoping we would wrap this up with a couple of like key points um, for everybody. I've got a couple that you've mentioned today. Uh, one is like a little spin, but do you want to kind of wrap up some, maybe some key things that people should be taking away, Rob, buy your book? <laughs> Watch the TED talk. I'm, I'm just going to plug that again because the, you know, you keep referring back to these principles that you do cover in the TED talk. Is there any is there anything else like that 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 you've talked about today that that you think that it, we should just repeat so that people get stuck in their brain? Yeah, you know, I think I think I want to. One of the things that I work on a lot with my patients, my clients, is I work on brand positioning. And when I say I, I can't underscore the importance, if you have a weak positioning, everything else is weak too. When I say positioning, I mean that trifecta of a brand's purpose, promise, and personality. You guys know what I'm talking about because you've been through the process. But there's an old Latin proverb that says, and I'm not going to say it in Latin, but the English translation is something like, fortune favors the bold, Mm -hmm. right? And I, I believe it holds true for brands. Too many brands lack clarity of purpose. You know, they aren't direct enough in their appeal to specific audiences and they play it too safe when expressing their personality. Think about the risks that cult brands take. I mentioned the example of Nike when they supported NFL star Colin Kaepernick or the example of Burger King, right? When they called on McDonald's to collaborate on the McWhopper right? It's, it's okay to take a stance on something. It's okay to be not for everyone. And it's okay to pick fights. And yeah, there's a chapter in the book on that too, if you want to read more about that. But you can only do those things when you have a strong positioning and, and you have a high belief amongst the ranks of a well-indoctrinated culture. So I think that's really important too. The other thing that I tend to work on with my clients is to rehabilitate them from their addiction to what I call short-termism, right? And that is usually they have developed some sort of myopic focus on customer acquisition and tactics that drive KPI that provide immediate gratification. And what they overlook are longer-term investments that will drive bigger, more meaningful things like driving towards cult brand status and developing that kind of allegiance and affinity. Because marketing is an investment and it's not an expense and investing, as you guys know, (laughs) based on uh, your history, it requires a balanced portfolio, right? And marketing is really no different. So that's another really important point. If you are a brand leader, if you are a marketer, you need to look closely at the things that you're doing and the things that you're measuring as well. And understand if you are over-indexing on things that are just driving short-term gains, 
at the expense of long-term success. Yeah. So those three things are actually all on your LinkedIn profile. Positioning is everything. Customer advocacy uh, over customer acquisition and long-term over short-term. And what's really interesting is that when we met, one of the biggest connection points that we had is that's everything that what we're trying to do here at Proudmouth is about. Yeah. Positioning, positioning. There's so many people who have brands that are hollow. I worked for so many years building brands and then they were hollow because they couldn't create the content or they couldn't create the culture. There's so many hollow brands. So you, you have to, you know, positioning is everything. Customer advocacy, or this is a huge change among people that lead gen, the idea of lead gen is, is, is dying because people don't want to be sold to. Uh, hence our, our tagline, right? To free the world's experts from sales. And then long-term over short-term, there's so much marketing, brand, so many people are so caught up in what they need to accomplish in 90 days. The 90-day cycles kill businesses over time or they make them way more arduous than they, than they ought to be. Why not build something that in five years, put the time in now, five years now, you're laughing. You're absolutely laughing because you're in the place that you wanted to be five years ago. But you, you and so that's a big problem. Those are things that I think everybody, there's a couple other lessons that, that you came up with. I want to make sure people, one is the virtual bench model that we talked about, Camino. If, if you're running a business, growing a business, have a business that you're trying to be more profitable, a virtual bench, if you don't, you know, that concept of using the gig economy, whatever you want to call it, is so important to growth. It's been absolutely pivotal in us getting to where we could go spend money, rebrand, do all the other things that we're doing in our company because we grew, we've been growing uh, without the long-term attachment by using the virtual bench model. We bring in the experts like Rob, uh, Charles, who we're going to have on the podcast in a couple of months time, people like that. So that's an, another concept. And the last one is this concept. I'll leave you with it. Unless Matt has something to add is that when you're in your business, the idea of cult brand, what the real outcome is, is that you get to market to fans and not skeptics. And that that's business changing stuff. Imagine if you didn't have to sell to somebody because they already knew who you were. It's a big part of what we do here at Brand uh, at Proudmouth. It's what you should be pushing towards in your marketing is how do we get there? What are the things that we need to do? I'm so delighted that you came into our world. I guess it was by chance or fate, whatever you want to call it. You know, grateful that it happened. Uh, there's so much more stuff that I hope we uh, do together. I hope that people listening here who are ready and who want to understand what a cult brand is or want to rehab their brand, that they'll, they'll reach out and say hi, because it was worth every penny and every moment uh, for us. And we'll make sure, Rob, that we've got your, your, as much contact information in our show notes as needed, because the only way you really truly get to Rob and his team is through referrals. Please, uh, we're going to make sure that the TED Talk is there and, and the book is magnificent. Well, we'll make sure that we have Turk's affiliate link so he stays number one at the uh, affiliate sales of your book. Rob, thank you very much for your thought leadership on this. And, and we really, of course, appreciate working with you and, and just are super happy that you shared all of this great information with our listeners. Uh, you're welcome. This has been real fun. 
Well, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, everybody, because that way uh, we're going to have lots more people like Rob on the podcast. Not somebody who does what Rob does, but this level of depth, this level of interest, this level of expertise is truly what we are here to do. And just so all of you know, if you are an expert and you are so tired of chasing leads, you're so tired of having to hard close people who are fundamentally skeptical of your expertise, then you need to reach out to us and see what Proudmouth can do for you. Because what we do is we will free you from sales. We'll help you rise above the misinformation, the noise that's out there in your area of expertise, and we'll help you do what Rob has done so successfully with himself, his brand, his book, Communo and the whole cult collective, which is to truly rise above the noise and be their own loud. We'll see you on the other side of the mic pretty soon. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Be Your Own Loud, where we reverse engineer success to help you accelerate your influence and break free from the torment of sales. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to our podcast, share with others in your company or profession, follow us on social media. This podcast is brought to you by Proudmouth, the Influence Accelerators. Visit us at Proudmouth.com and join our Influence Accelerator Academy for free to enhance your marketing mindset and know-how.